Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 242 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are covering the topics of reflux and heartburn, which are oh so common that I actually can't believe we don't already have an entire episode dedicated to them. Yes, I think we have an episode way back, like in the prior to 100s day, where we talked about drug-induced nutrient deficiencies, and I know that PPI drugs are proton pump inhibiting drugs, which are one of the main classifying drugs used for heartburn, are a big driver of mineral deficiency and B vitamin deficiency. And so we kind of indirectly hit it, but like you said, Becky, that was years ago. And I know that heartburn and reflux is something that impacts millions of people and can be so debilitating and really ruin a vacation or a weekend away or just general quality of life in the digestive realm. So we're going to be talking to you guys about the impact of the medications that are prescribed as well as natural ways to manage heartburn and really understanding more about your gastric pouch or the optimal pH of your digestive juices, why that's important and how to, with functional medicine, work with your body to address the root cause versus just putting that band-aid on the volcano and silencing the symptoms, but dealing with whole body imbalance in the end. Yeah. I know too many people who keep like Tums in the drawer of their desk or glove compartment of their car and just pop them without even thinking like there might be something deeper down to dive into and address. Yeah. I was actually one of them when I was working at Mercy Hospital in Iowa City. It was not uncommon to hear the jingle jangle of Tums (laughs) in my like big purses or in the glove compartment of my car. And I even was hospitalized like three different times from ages, I think like 19 to 20. And I guess in that one year window, um, there was a lot going on acutely with my GI tract. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, my personal rev up of my digestive juices and just understanding more about how to optimize digestion and what lifestyle and diet irritants were exacerbating that, that I didn't know about at the time. All right. Before we do that, just a couple of updates for y'all before we get into today's topic. Um, Today is when this episode airs the 31st of May. Um, So it's actually the last day um, that we are allowing anyone to join this last round of our 12-week virtual keto program. And this is the last round in 2021, which I can't believe I'm saying, but the next one will not occur until January of 22. Um, So if you do want to get in, we've just now wrapped up with class three, I believe. Well, class three is coming this week. Class three is this week, so you can join before class three. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Um, And because we archive the sessions and all of the materials, you can really, really easily catch up on classes one 
and two in the virtual classroom. So just a PSA, if you were wanting to get in or if you were waiting till September and anticipating there being a group, there will not be one at that time. So join this one or you have to wait till January. Yes, what we will be doing in the fall instead is our next level keto, which is our more informal, uh, kind of direct engaged with our uh, participants where we'll do a CGM experiment, incorporate a 10-day detox, and there will still be a lot of fun to be had. But as a prerequisite, you have to do this first 12-week food as medicine virtual ketosis class. So go on over to AllieMillerRD.com slash ketosis hyphen class and grab your spot today. Yeah, we just wrapped our first round of Next Level Keto, and it was so fun having everyone wear a CGM and troubleshooting the data from that. So I'm sure we'll incorporate that in the future as well. Yes. All right. And um, now through June 5th, and I'm sure we're going to get into um, talking about probiotics today, but through June 5th, we are having our annual promo on probiotics, our Beat the Heat promo, which gets you 50% off when you buy two probiotics at full price, you get the third at 50% off. So a really good way to stock up on probiotics for summertime. Um, We have the lab testing to prove that all of our probiotics are safe and effective, even in temperatures upwards of 122 degrees, which even in the hottest places like Texas, we're not getting that hot for sure. Um, But we still want to afford you guys the opportunity. We do recommend um, overnight shipping on our probiotics during the summer. So this is a really great way to stock up before that really hot time period of like June, July, August really hits us and you can save on um, overnight shipping and stock up for the whole family or you know buy three months worth for everybody in the fam or if you take a couple of different probiotics especially the heavier hitters like the more expensive ones targeted strength um, and the rebuild spectrum you can get some really good savings with this promo so the code is beat the heat 21 and you can use that now through june 5th all right awesome So let's have a word from Fond, which is our opening sponsor for today's episode, and then we'll get into all of the things heartburn and reflux. So you all know that we love Fond bone broth. They are really wellness well made. They make slow simmered and lovingly tendered from simmer to seal bone broths that are fantastic flavor profiles as well. So the way that they prepare all the way from the sourcing of their artisan well water, which is tested daily for purity, for natural occurring minerals, to the quality sea salt that they use, to the sustainable organic farms that they partner with for their produce, and the free-range cage-free chicken that they use, backs and feet, to get that nice collagen gelatinous oopy goopy texture fond bone broth is really a facelift for the gut aiding in reducing food sensitivities and inflammation repairing leaky gut while also supporting autoimmune conditions and aiding in that galt that gut associated lymphatic tissue which supports overall immune function so becky and i are big proponents of bone broth as a great tool for immune health and digestive health we also talk a lot about the benefits of the nutrient glycine so glycine 
is found in connective tissue. Bone broth is one of the most delicious ways to consume glycine in the diet. And glycine can aid with body fat burn, which can help you to more successfully get into a state of nutritional ketosis. While also glycine can have a favorable impact on homocysteine, which is a vascular marker of inflammation. So a mug of bone broth a day can beyond keep the doctor away. And if you are drinking fond bone broth, it's going to be an enjoyable experience that tastes delicious. I promise you guys, if you have not enjoyed bone broth in the past and it tastes like hot meat juice, even as we get into the summer, the fond bone broth flavors are bright, acidic, nice balance of flavor profiles and really become your sous chef in a jar. So you can add them to deglaze a saute, also adding in the braising cooking process for leafy greens, or to just make a simple mug of a meal where you might add in some cut up pieces of cod and simmer that as you heat your broth with maybe some kombu seaweed and have a delicious meal in a mug. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com and when you click on the shop, you can check out all of their flavors. I've really been digging the radish and lemon, which used to be called the trolley dodger. Uh, that's a really fun spring and summer flavor. I was so obsessed with the nopalito, uh, which was seasonal, but now they have another couple fun seasoning blends coming down the line. So to stay up to date, make sure you go on over to fondbonebroth.com. You can use Allie Miller RD at checkout, and that's how you let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. And also, when you use Allie Miller RD as a coupon code, you will save on your order. And you can do a subscription and use the Allie Miller RD code to add on additional savings. So, something that might be worth considering a monthly bone broth shipment to keep things rocking for whole body health. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com, use Allie Miller RD at checkout and a great tool on today's topic of reflux and heartburn as well. I'm sure we'll get into that with food as medicine, but for helping to kind of cool and soothe any inflammation or ulceration in the gastrointestinal tract. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's jump in um, for today because I just think this topic is all too common and a lot of people just see it as maybe something they have to deal with or live with. Um, let's just talk a little bit about incidence and, and prevalence of PPIs. Yes. Unfortunately, you know, PPI drugs for so long were only prescriptive medications. So again, in the world of PPIs, we're talking about like omeprazole and Nexium as, as some known, you know, the purple pill. We used to see so many commercials and ad space on the purple pill doing the trick to take out that acid in your digestive tank. Um, and, you know, now these have become over the counter in the last decade. And so the prevalence of use is really broad. And um, the concern again is although these are considered, you know, preventative, many people are taking these medications for a long term, like 20 plus years. And often they are put on these as a medication. So instead of the 20 milligram, maybe a 40 milligram or just prescribed by their doctor for a longer period of time use. And we see that these drugs can actually increase the risk of hospital acquired infections um, because these acid suppressing drugs will either block gastric acid production, which is a proton pump inhibitor, um, or they'll buffer the gastric acid. And so we'll talk today about the, the H2 antagonists and the PPIs and then the antacids. And the concern is that under an ideal digestive environment, 
the gastric pouch, which is your stomach, okay, um, the stomach is actually supposed to be very acidic. So a pH of a one to two in the stomach. And that acidity is imperative to support the activation of digestive enzymes and also to enhance the body's immune system, aid in the absorption of nutrients, and act as a chemical barrier of defense to fight against pathogen. So when we buffer this acidity, we lose out on all of those essential foundational needs. Yes, and um, I think it's important to distinguish maybe between like what we're defining as reflux versus heartburn versus GERD, um, or maybe let's talk through like the um, array of, of symptoms that we see our clients presenting with and kind of some of the questions you might ask them in an initial intake. Sure. So when we're dealing with heartburn or reflux, so you might have been told you have silent reflux maybe. Um, when we're talking about um, actual regurge, often there is going to be a bile or acidity-like taste. Um, if we're actually having reflux, uh, often there can be dental issues. So we can see higher susceptibility to cavities or teeth enamel wear um, and demineralization in the teeth because there is too high of acidity actually going up bound, mm -hmm. actually being regurged. So there'll usually be a taste or your dentist might draw attention to that. Also, we can get kind of hoarseness in the voice. Yeah, that's a big one. Or mm -hmm. like a, a chronic cough too. Uh, mucus and phlegm yep. uh, would be another one that we would think of. And uh, those are kind of more of the big ones with the, the actual regurge. And then um, silent reflux would be for individuals that don't have those symptoms, but um, there is acidity seen in an endoscopy where there is some level of esophagitis um, or esophageal inflammation, if you will. And that's because, again, the gastric pouch has thicker tissue than our intestines and our esophagus. So we want that very high acidity in the gastric pouch where there is thick tissue that can deal with it, like a cauldron. Think of it as like a really thick, dense material that can handle that low pH or the, the lower the pH, the highest the acidity. So there's kind of that inversion there for conception. Um, and so, you know, when the esophageal sphincter is not functional, which is one of the primary driving causes of heartburn or reflux, um, then what happens is that sphincter or that muscle that's supposed to close the gastric and esophageal uh, connection, if that stays dilated or that doesn't seal, then we have a susceptibility for that high acidity to travel northbound or regurge or go up, okay? And then there's also a gastric uh, sphincter by the intestines and um, that is supposed to hold the acidity until all the food is kind of churned into like a slurry and then that's when at that connection of passing the stomach to the intestines the enzymes of the pancreas and the bile connect to pass to actually buffer that acidity and so the bile flow from the gallbladder is important as well for heartburn and reflux so if someone is missing their gallbladder or has a sluggish gallbladder uh, or gallstones they may be dealing with higher susceptibility to heartburn or GERD because they're not getting that buffering effect um, and that's often going to be more if there's gastritis like they're not buffering lower. Often as a symptom, we can see 
uh, pressure in, um, so we can see distension or bloating, and we can see that pressure, uh, even driving like burning in the back. Mm-hmm. That's where I personally experienced it always was like their back rib cage yeah, like around the ribs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it would drive a lot of anxiety then, and and kind of I think would cause a little bit more of like tachycardia mm-hmm. or elevated heart sure. rate, more from anxiety response of that of like what's going on. This doesn't feel comfortable. Um, and so there can also be that like acidity sensation and then there can be pressure and there can be belching and flatulence, most likely more belching Mm -hmm. in the world of the heartburn and GERD. Totally. Um, and I think, you know, that's a really important note on the pH of the stomach being so, so low. And then, you know, it's these medications are for sure really counterintuitive to how our digestive system is actually supposed to work, right? Right. And the fact that, again, most of them are monitored and mm-hmm. reduced when the condition is resolved right. Or, right. or the condition isn't resolved. It's, again, band-aided is the concern. Now, the areas where PPI drugs would be a necessity for short-term use until tissue repair is seen is in the world of esophagitis or gastritis uh, because then we are at risk for dysplasia or cellular um, repair in a dysfunctional way which could drive cancer Mm -hmm. so there are conditions like barrett's esophagitis and um, or forms of gastritis where through an endoscopy if that's been diagnosed and staged to be aggressive that these drugs would be used but still in conjunction with the recommended support we'll note in today's episode right which would help to resolve yeah. and then prevent and then support a medication wean over time yeah so you'd use the medication then to buffer the acid and then actually repair the tissue versus you know hoping that the body's going to do it on its own in likely a nutrient deficient state. So um, a lot that you can do, even if you do have to take one of these things for a short term. Yes. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that the big thing to note, again, kind of likening the stomach as like a cauldron. So if we're talking about how GI system and the digestive function works in an ideal world, you know, we usually think about digestion and absorption. So it's all digestion leading into the small intestine, and then we start the absorption process. Uh, and the small intestine plays a role in both because we do secrete digestive enzymes through the brush border of our small intestine as well. But that's also where we start to actually absorb through the gut blood barrier, the nutrients. Um, so the majority of protein digestion actually occurs in the stomach. And that's where, again, pepsin and pepsinogens are actually going to be released only in the presence of an ample gastric acid. And these play a role to break down protein into amino acids so that we can absorb the protein building blocks to use for whole body health. So we tend to see a suppression of gastric acid just by age and stress alone. And then also as we age, there's higher susceptibility to individuals using these antacids Mm -hmm. or PPI drugs. And this is widely concerning because this is the population where we start to see as we age sarcopenia or muscle wasting and immune dysfunction. And again, a lot of this can be prevented if we can, instead of suppressing that gastric secretion, support optimal gastric secretion so that we can actually break down those proteins, absorb those amino acids, and then get to a space of muscle gain or recovery and tissue repair. 
The other concern um, beyond the protein malnourishment and its its impact on immune health and physiological health and just all-cause mortality. Mm-hmm. We know that there's higher risk of death when you start wasting muscles. Yep. So that's a, a big thing I would, don't want to have overlooked. The other thing we worry about is if we're not churning and breaking things down in that perfect chemical environment, there are too large of food particles being passed to the intestines. And this puts us at high susceptibility to leaky gut. There's more abrasion or abrasive large food particles hitting the small intestine, and they're not going to be broken down as well as they would if they were exposed to that low pH in an an optimal gastric environment. So we see more permeability in the small intestine through that hit of the larger particles, and this can drive systemic inflammation. Um, This can also cause GI distress, irregular bowels, and then really can distract the immune system from focusing on maybe a pathogen like bacteria, yeast, virus, or even cancer. The immune system is kind of distracted in its surveillance of trying to fight these larger food particles, like a high pollen day, if you will, rather than doing a good surveillance of the body itself. Yeah, and I think you know, also within that realm of immune function, our stomach pH, that acid actually plays a huge role in terms of preventing, you know, localized bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, H. pylori, parasites. So that's often a big aha with clients that I have that have recurrent GI infections, or we've done multiple, you know, stool tests and cleanses, and we're just not making headway will work with you know digestive enzyme support and and start looking into kind of this area of of ramping up their enzyme secretion oh yeah i mean it's your first chemical barrier if you will uh for immune exposure and so absolutely like you said SIBO h pylori parasites um all of e coli in the you know foodborne bacteria very common salmonella um, all of these are going to be higher susceptible in depleted gut flora and low gastric acidity and unfortunately one of the biggest drivers of depleting both good gut bacteria and stomach acid again is stress so i think that that's really worth noting and very timely as we're on the heels of pandemic and transitioning back into the real world also during a time of summer and swim holes and all of the things um is alcohol would be another one that suppresses and so i think of that in the summer i'm just kind of thinking of the the horizon up forward here um but i think that stress is a really big important one and often um you know we'll talk about interventions in a moment but when we're seeing consistency of resistant bacteria and we've done a couple rounds of beat the bloat that's when then we'll add in things like the gi reset Mm -hmm. which has more broad scope there is that um, caprylic acid in there there's also black walnut hull to hit more of the parasite world and i bring in right away the brocco detox because the brocco detox is really fabulous two-part a it aids in that encapsulation and excretion process of the phase two detox support it um, reduces the free radicals and the oxidative stress that presents through a battle or a cleanse process. But also we've seen that the broccoli sprout in there um, can be a really powerful player in regulating that upper gastric pH and also combating directly with H. pylori, which is often an, an overlooked chronic pathogen that can drive a lot of distress in an individual. Totally. Um, So let's get into maybe a few more 
causes of acid reflux. So you talked about kind of the anatomical, like one of the sphincters not working correctly. Um, let's cover a few more of the, the reasons that reflux or heartburn might happen in the first place. Sure. So, I mean, I think I made the point of the sphincter, but not the the different areas that it could be impacted by. Sure, so let's, let's go a little deeper down there first. So um, the esophageal sphincter, again, is what connects the esophagus to the gastric pouch on the upper part, obviously. And then the lower sphincter is going to be the gastric sphincter to the intestines. Um, in that upper area, the most common driver of GERD um, is going to be a hiatal hernia. And this is where some of the stomach actually protrudes above the diaphragm and actually into that sphincter so it allows acid to escape upbound so it's basically like the stomach is passing into that esophageal sphincter so it can't truly close um, and this is where we can actually see a surgery as a intervention that could be necessary depending on the stage and the severity of the hiatal hernia we can see also this type of concept with pregnancy and weight gain so if you have instead of part of the stomach pouch protruding up into the esophagus, you have a baby's head mm -hmm. or a baby's booty or just mass <laughs> pressing into the diaphragm. We know as women with pregnancy, we often see diastasis recti or a splitting of the diaphragm there. Um, that core muscle, core strength is a big area of focus for supporting and preventing heartburn and reflux, but also overworking or overstressing the core can be a driver. Like sure. a lot of men actually end up with umbilical hernias uh -huh. or um, hernias in the diaphragm if they're overextending in like plank challenges and such and like stressing that macro muscle versus toning and creating um, stability in that core area. So core is huge. And beyond pregnancy, I would also say just weight gain in general. If you're holding a lot of body fat up in that area, then you're going to have protrusion in that sphincter space or too much pressure to prevent that sphincter from a tight close. So that's all kind of the anatomical world. Hiatal hernia, pregnancy, weight gain, um, or distressing that muscle, sure. I think are big areas of focus. Yep, I definitely had it during third trimester for sure. Like, yeah, what is happening? I was drinking <laughs> aloe. Me too. And yep. doing aloe yep. popsicles. And well, don't worry, we'll get there in a moment. Uh, probably really in like 30 minutes, we'll talk about interventions. Yes. So inflammation in general is another area of focus. So we know individuals that have just higher levels of inflammation in their body. Again, this is an inflammatory um, condition. And so we can see tissue damage and dysfunction in the esophagus if we are dealing with higher amounts of cytokine, cytokines, prostaglandins, and inflammatory mediators. Um, we also see individuals that have poor digestion of carbohydrates having more susceptibility to GERD. Um, and this would also be seen with higher intake of carbs. So the higher carb consumption, um, you know, if we're dealing with any digestive issues, that's the one that's going to drive more of that fermentation and bloating and more of that intra-abdominal pressure. Um, and that gas buildup will often interfere with the closing of the valve, if you will. So high grain, high refined carb, high sugar, and um, even high, high amounts of like legumes and such gases driving foods can exacerbate the reflux. Um, we know dysbiosis alone can be a driving factor. So if we have SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that's going to be the closest anatomical area of concern because that's going to interfere with that transition from the gastric pouch to the small intestines. And we know that um, 
reflux and regurg can be common symptoms associated with that form of dysbiosis. Again, similar in the drivers for diet, like refined mm-hmm. foods, sugars, grains. Um, these are going to drive yeast overgrowth and SIBO. And you can kind of liken that fermentation to that like brewing beer in the belly or, or baking bread in the belly. That, that bubbling up of carbon dioxide and methane gases are big drivers that we can see in the world of heartburn and reflux as well. Totally. And it's one of those kind of chicken or egg, but as we said, uh, the low pH or, or high pH can cause that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Or too buffered of an acidity. Too buffered, yes. yep. um, And then within that would be the world of H. pylori as a specific pathogen. And, um, you know, two thirds of the population that have stomach acid, actual stomach ulcers, excuse me. So if gastritis or a stomach ulcer has been diagnosed, always make sure that you get tested for H. pylori. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that overlooked. Um, If you're getting an endoscopy, ask for an H. pylori biopsy and even consider additionally doing a breath test. Because if left untreated, the H. pylori can really drive serious ulcerations and is the number one driver of stomach cancer. So quite concerning as far as really prevention world. And very common to be passed between members of the household Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So like children, spouses, everyone should be tested and and treated if need be. And I would even go as far as saying, again, if you're dealing with heartburn and reflux and you're not getting an endoscopy, maybe you don't have uh, insurance coverage or, you know, that procedure isn't being done at this time in your local hospital, or you just don't want that invasive approach at this time, you could do the, the less invasive breath test, or you could also preemptively bring in that Brocco detox at one twice daily to see if that not only aids in symptom alleviation, but also supports the battle of that H. pylori that can drive more harm in the body mm-hmm. and, and try to displace that bacteria overgrowth. Sure. Um, and then we talked aging is another big driver and another population that's impacted by heartburn and reflux. Yeah, just because, the, again, we reduce the amount of acid that's produced with age. Right. And then, you know, it's kind of that chicken and egg. We are more prone towards erosion of tissue like esophagitis and Barrett's esophagitis when we are not getting the protein breakdown from that suppressed acidity and, and so forth. And that can then drive gastritis and gastrointestinal bleeding. Um, in the elderly population, the bigger concern, again, beyond muscle loss is that we can see a lot of deficiency of nutrients. Sure. Concern is megaloblastic or macrocytic anemia, which can often be a big driver to low oxygenation of the body because you know we know that iron carries oxygen throughout the tissues of our body and this can really accelerate the aging process and all cause mortality and this macrocytic anemia occurs because intrinsic factor which is necessary for b12 absorption intrinsic factor requires a uh, low ph or a high acidity to activate and so we see very insufficient levels of b12 and folate in this population and um, they are going to also have then secondarily iron deficiency because of that red blood cell formation due to the low uh, b12 and folate and i will note i've also seen this becky in individuals that deal with chronic 
B12 deficiency, uh-huh. they may have the inadequate intrinsic factor or just are running at too high of a stomach pH. They haven't revved up their gastric pH. And so they might be dealing with severe migraines. They might be doing like B12 injections and trying mm-hmm. to get around this. And the root cause, they also are likely dealing with a lot of dysbiosis. And the root cause is really regulating instead yeah. that pH. Yeah. Oftentimes when I see that on a, a micronutrient panel, I'll bring in the digestate along with the B12 boost. Um, yeah. And then in and that, that, we should talk about B12 boost and how it works a little differently, I think. Sure. So I, I think, you know, in that world, uh, with B12 boost, which would be something to consider getting any aging parent, especially mm-hmm. any aging parent in long-term care yeah. that is on a PPI. Yep. Um, a, the BRCO detox could be supportive to prevent that H. pylori, but the, the B12 boost works sublingually. So it's a small, tiny lozenge that goes under the tongue and is absorbed in the capillaries. So you are getting that bioavailable um, methylated B12 direct into the capillaries or smaller vessels carried then into the large blood vessels as opposed to a capsule that's swallowed and then pa- passed through the hepatic portal of the liver. Um, so this is really important for those that have more um, severe nutrient deficiency. And if we think in the elderly population, we know B12 can impact neurological health, which is brain health. Um, we can see even impact of like neuropathy and tingling sensation in the hands or feet or loss of sensation um, where they can't feel the bottoms of their feet Mm -hmm. and such. So I just think a really powerful player for aging parents is the B12 boost. Yep. Yep. Really good one. And and just in that world of aging and quite frankly, anyone who's taking um, certain medications, but I think of the aging population, especially with polypharmacy, that can be another driver of reflux and heartburn. So a lot of medications, including things like ibuprofen, blood pressure medications, um, but especially a lot of those like aspirin, ibuprofen world. Yeah. Well, of course the the NSAID drugs in the ibuprofen, Aleve, NSAID, naproxen sodium, Celebrex, those are going to cause both wear and tear of the gut lining, but also interfere. And often actually those drugs are like the, the high dose Mm -hmm. NSAIDs are prescribed with a PPI PPI. for that, that reasoning. Um, and of course y'all know the big goal is to get off of those NSAID drugs because those drive leaky gut. So you'd want to take the GI lining support to offset that. Um, and, and just try to get back to the, the root cause as much as possible. Uh, the last one I would say in lifestyle is eating large meals or mm-hmm. drinking too much fluid at mealtime. Yeah. So these are very preventative ones. Um, if we're eating a large volume meal um, or we are eating too close to bedtime where we're going to be laying down and not sitting upright, um, we know that that doesn't allow optimal um, uh peristalsis or pumping of the GI tract. It doesn't work with gravity to push foods south or down the intestines. And we're more prone if we're laying down right away with heartburn or regurge or reflux. Um, And just if we're overly full, the stomach is going to put pressure on the diaphragm and that interferes right there with that uh, esophageal sphincter to close. If we drink too much at mealtimes, that can dilute our stomach enzymes, uh, which can create too much of a sloshy, if you will, environment. And also we can dilute that stomach pH. And so then that sloshy environment requires higher acidity. It'll um, drive the body stimulation of an acid dump. And that's where then you could be more prone towards that heartburn or, or regurge or reflux as well. 
Totally. And I think too frequent of meal consumption too. So like intermittent fasting could actually be a good tool for someone who's dealing with reflux. And maybe there's someone, if they get reflux in the evening, you know, regardless of, of time of dinner, they would structure their fast. So they, you know, eat in the morning and then fast during the evening time. For sure. All right. So let's talk through kind of the, the world of conventional medications and their side effects. So we have these kind of three classes that are used um, within the heartburn reflux population of antacids, uh, the H2 blockers, and the PPIs or proton pump inhibitors. Yes. So again, most of these are going to be prescribed or purchased over the counter just because of their description of use of reducing heartburn or reflux, right? So if we're experiencing it, the go-to is let's take this thing to band-aid the volcano. But as we mentioned, there's all these drivers to why the stomach acid could be suppressed or why that valve maybe isn't closing. And what we often see is actually a condition called hypochlorhydria. Um, and this is the clinical term for too low of stomach acidity or too high of a pH. Again, too buffered of acidity, not acidic enough, not that pH of one to two, but maybe we're at a pH of three or something like that. And the concern is that this hypochlorhydria is really under-researched and it is not given enough value in the allopathic or conventional medical model. And the use of these medications, whether it's an antacid, an H2 antagonist, or a PPI, is that we're further suppressing and deeper contributing to that hypochlorhydria. And this hypochlorhydria, or too low of stomach acidity, can exacerbate all of the symptoms that we're talking about again, because we can see that the stomach tries to uh, push out acidity in the struggle of the digestive environment. And in some sense, some of the drugs actually block the ability of it to do so. So then we're just seeing hindered digestive environment. And then that might drive us to a whole cascade of GI drugs. Like now we're taking Linzess or, you know, now we're looking at other autoimmune conditions from that leaky gut, or now we're looking at more reactive airway and asthma distress from the inflammatory cascades because the body's trying to, in some way, shape or form, break something down and it doesn't have the tools the tool belt to do so. Okay. I think that's a really important distinction. So hypochlorhydria is a thing. Yep. Um, And so, yeah, so we don't want to contribute further to that, but the drugs that are used are antacids um, and antacids are often going to be like the, the, the thought of more like as needed over the counter. These are often like in chewable form um, or like dissolvable form, like bicarbonate tablets and such that you would do in like um, fizzy waters and such. Um, The concern is that the antacids themselves, again, can drive more of the hypochlorhydria, of course. And then we can see a lot of GI distressing symptoms. So from use of antacids, we can see diarrhea, constipation, nausea, vomiting, uh, GI discomfort, lack of appetite. Uh, We can also see impact in mental health and mood. We can see weakness. We can see issues with all of these drugs across the board with osteoporosis and osteopenia due to calcium loss. We can see kidney stones uh, based on excessive calcium or imbalance of minerals in the body and the kidneys having to kind of process and remove. Um, We can see fluid retention, so swelling in the the, um, abdomen as well as ankles and blood pressure dysregulation. We can see um, aluminum toxicity from some of the chewable tabs that have aluminum Mm -hmm. as a byproduct in them. 
Uh, we can also see frequent urination, headaches, muscle pain, and then there are interactions with many medications and the antacids because, again, a lot of the drugs, just like foods, require a appropriate stomach acidity to activate. And that's why a lot of them may have like an extended release buffer or a particular um, coating to protect mm-hmm. against that breakdown. But if you're lacking that breakdown, that could also uh, be too um, dynamic that then you're getting interference with medication utilization if you're not able to actually break down the medication to use it. Okay. And then what about like the world of like Pepsid AC, Zantac? Those are going to be those H2 blockers. Yes. So these are going to um, block the histamine uh, reactivity in the body that is going to encourage the stomach acidity. So by stopping the hydrochloric acid, um, they also stop the pepsin production. And again, pepsin is that enzyme necessary to break down protein into our amino acids. Um, So this can also have drama in the world of protein malnourishment as discussed. And we can see more um, abdominal pressure when we're using these H2 blockers um, because we again we don't have the right chemical and enzyme environment to break down what we're digesting right so there's just kind of this like churny crampy sensation that can occur Um, we can also see of course the impact of bacteria but specific to the H2 antagonists we've seen higher susceptibility to listeria salmonella pneumonia tuberculosis so even um, typhoid dysentery so even these like third Mm -hmm. world otherwise eradicated diseases when we're interfering with that necessary stomach acidity we also know that side effects with the h2 drugs can drive more in the world of mental depression and anxiety Uh, so mental disturbances have even been reported dizziness headaches and then also the diarrhea, constipation, GI stress. We see more dermatological drama with these drugs like rashing and hives connected to that histamine Mm -hmm. response in the body. Um, We can see infertility, um, we can see impotence and breast enlargement in men. Um, In the mental health world, again, even beyond the mental disturbances, we can see hallucinations, confusion, delirium. So another concern when we're using these drugs now in the elderly population, and then they just get kind of thrown to the wayside as, oh, onset of dementia, um, put them in the Alzheimer's, um, you know, department. And this could be really a drug-induced pathology. I think it's really important to note. Heart and kidney issues are seen in this medication use as well as um, liver damage and then stomach cancer because we can overlook that H. pylori infection. So again, really important if we know we have gastritis to test for that H. pylori. And then we can see some respiratory issues here as well, pneumonia, iron deficiency, that folate, calcium, and zinc deficiency. Okay, so a laundry list of, of um, side effects of those medications as well. And then the PPIs are perhaps the most dangerous class of these medications. Yes, and still like the most popular. There's actually 17 PPIs on the market oh right gosh. now of different drug names. Okay. So the most popular, again, the purple pill, Nexium. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Asifex, there's Prevacid, Prilosec, um, and then Omeprazole, the generic uh, one, which is often prescribed. 
Um, and the PPIs have all of the risks that we've already mentioned, but then adding on to this, there have been even severity of bone loss and bone fracture, again, uh, further exacerbated with the elderly population. We've seen increased risk of C. diff-related diarrhea, which we know C. diff is one of those kind of super bugs that tends to also run rampant in the elderly population. So when we're thinking of like long-term care units, uh, C. diff outbreaks can be really mm-hmm. severe and really be one of those last end stage diseases that will take over the body because of the electrolyte instability and then that throwing arrhythmia and, and really uh, high stressor to the body as a pathogen, gut pathogen. So the both H2 blockers and PPIs can make uh, higher risk, which across the board you're already hearing a need for really all elderly to be on a quality probiotic. So this is the time to take advantage of that beat the beat the heat sale and maybe get mom or dad on the rebuild spectrum would be the mm-hmm. one I would say for the elderly population um, because that has that planetarium strain in there which supports against leaky gut. It has a good blend of lacto and bifido strains for mental health, um, but it also has the Saccharomyces boulardii in there to support against yeast overgrowth in the body. There's that robust um, nine strain diversity to fight against gut pathogen from exposure and also just enhance immune function. So I think that's the one I'd really say go to yeah. for the parents yep. in, in the population and, and could prevent against both the SIBO and the C. diff, which is a high susceptibility of the use of these drugs. Um, beyond the B12 deficiency and that related anemia, um, we do see higher susceptibility to duodenal ulcers. So that's that um, upper area of the small intestine, as well as the gastric ulcers with long-term use of PPI. And this is, again, often because an overlooked H. pylori infection. So checking for that and supporting with the um, Braco detox would be really huge. And then one that a lot of my clients have experienced in the world of PPIs is hair loss. So I want to call that out for sure. Um, in fact, the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology had a really thorough research um, done on alopecia areata. Is that correct? Yeah. Areata. Yep. And it's an autoimmune disease, um, and there is a strong link between the gastrointestinal biome and that skin gut access. And there was high findings of prolonged proton pump inhibitor use with gut dysbiosis and secondarily seen um, as a case-controlled study that examined the risk of PPI use and hair loss. Um, And I've seen that clinically with individuals that have gotten off their PPIs all of a sudden starting to see great hair regrowth. Mm -hmm. And I think it's beyond the alopecia component and the microbiome connection, but again, it's also the connection of your protein deficient when you're on the PPI drugs and you need that protein for amino acids for the hair growth. Yeah, protein, zinc, B12, all of those things play into rapid growth of of tissue, including hair. Yeah, and I think not to mention, I think we should call it the zinc in the world of immune function Mm -hmm. too, right? Sure. So we think that zinc runs low in the elderly population, also exacerbated with use of these medications, and then that makes the immune system less capable to fight against virus or any pathogens in the future. Sure, and even you know, seeing higher incidence of death <laughs> amongst those who are on long-term H2 and PPI drugs, which is really frightening as a potential side effect. And and just to know, it's not just the elderly that are taking them for sure. Um, they even put, when I was working in the pediatric ICU, they will prophylactically put these itty bitty babies that they're doing 
tube feeds on. So oftentimes preemies will have reflux just because their digestive system is very immature. And they'll often put that in the tube feed for the babies just as a prophylactic, which is really, really scary because what does that mean for their digestive system being able to then normally develop once we remove those things? Well, after we take our right. mineral break, we will tell you guys how to rev up your digestive juices. And yeah, I mean, the more sound approach would be to adding in like our digestaid and enzyme formula in the tube feed so that the individual can actually absorb all the nutrients and have all of those chemical players to break down and use the nutrients versus suppress the function of the body. Right. All right. After, after the break. Um, so let's have a quick word for our sponsor for this episode, NutriSense. Yes. So NutriSense provides continuous glucose monitors that provide you with real-time glucose data. It provides you with a Freestyle Libre sensor without diagnosis of diabetes, type 1 or type 2. So this is direct-to-consumer CGM and apps specific through NutriSense that help you to combine and visualize your glucose data with all of your daily activities. So you are able to track in lifestyle elements like sleep and movement or exercise as well as the impact of stress and then also log in supplement toggles and tweaks and food. For instance, when I'm working individual with a patient and we're exploring their metabolic flexibility, we may repeat the same amount of carbs in their evening meal and look at the variance between when they work out pre or post that meal or adding in berberine boost at that meal to see how that harnesses as an oral hypoglycemic and keeps their blood sugar from spiking. So we're really learning in this N equals one individualized approach of how our lifestyle, again, stress, sleep, exercise, supplementation, and our diet combine to support healthy glucose response. And the NutriSense team uses registered dietitians to communicate with you directly and help you to see the connection of your lifestyle and diet to the results. So they may call out to you, hey, I saw when you started your day with 10 minutes of prayer and meditation that your glucose levels were much more sustained than the day that it looked like you um, noted the stress or the rushing Mm -hmm. in the morning. And something as simple as that adrenaline epinephrine surge had a 10 to 15 point hit on your blood sugar throughout the day. Um, So NutriSense completely takes the guesswork from the equation and allows you to get personalized responses to food, stress, exercise, and sleep instead of a one-size-fits-all. I really think for the $175 value for the two weeks of nonstop, continuous, 24-7 data, it is an awesome investment in your wellness, especially when you're comparing something like maybe your hemoglobin A1C or your three-month blood sugar average, this really allows you to, again, toggle and determine what levers to adjust and how to really hone in on whole body health. So you can purchase a CGM or continuous glucose monitor and their program by visiting NutriSense, that's N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E dot I-O, NutriSense dot I-O, and use the code RD. 
You can use Allie RD to let them know that you learned about us through the Naturally Nourished podcast. There's a little form you fill out. So we always appreciate you letting them know that that's how you found out about them. And if you do a subscription, you'll get $30 off a monthly subscription plan. Um, there's not a discount directly off that 14-day one time, but um, doing a subscription can be a really great approach because you learn the first time and then you kind of want to set up experiments yeah. and then do it again. And you can space it out over time and do maybe one meter a month for three months and and, um, use that to toggle with their team. So again, going over to NutriSense.io, use the code AllieRD at checkout, and that's how you let them know you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast and save on your subscription. Yeah, I just finished wearing mine for 14 days, and I'm already like, I'd like to do that again at yeah. some point and um, kind of further my experimentation. But it was very cool. I think we'll be doing a next time we record YouTube, Becky will be sticking one on my arm live uh, so y'all can see in video form what it looks like and um, you know it's very painless I much prefer it over a glucose finger stick and I just think the information is so valuable mm. to connect the dots of the between the lines you know if we're just doing a glucometer or a blood ketone meter we're, we're cherry picking our data let's be honest you know or yeah. you're like looking at something that you're trying to see this sees everything so yeah. I've seen such awesome outcomes from clients that I've worked with for over a decade um, of just having that harnessing accountability. And sure. um, we've also discussed, Becky and I, how you can start to see an influence of food sensitivity or yeah. inflammatory response yep. to food with a blood sugar spike. So it can be a great way to learn really specific about your body. All right. Let's get into the functional approach to treating reflux and heartburn now that we've sufficiently scared you guys with the <laughs> scary stuff about some of those drugs. Yes. So um, when we're talking about functional medicine approaches, again, we're looking to address the root cause. So as I mentioned, that hypochlorhydria is one of the primary driving causes of heartburn and reflux. So this would be an area of focus most definitely is how can we get that cauldron, if you will, back to an optimal space. And the first place that I look in a, a gentle approach is through a quality digestive enzyme formula. So I would highly suggest using the digestate enzyme and you can use this in conjunction with your PPI, especially if it's been prescribed, um, then you'd wanna really wait until you do regulate your digestive before you pull the, I always say kind of when you're thinking of a scenario of functional medicine and medication wean, you wanna think of adding legs to the stool before you pull out the seat. And so with the digestate enzyme, we are getting a suite of digestive enzymes that help us to break down proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. So you're going to get those um, compounds to break down the pepsinogen and the amylase for the carbs and the lipase for the fats and very comprehensive in between. Um, and then we also have specific in our digestate hydrochloric acid itself. So that's actually going to help to improve the reflux by getting us to that lower pH or that optimal acidity. And also in the digestate is to bile, to uh, buffer off that HCL ox bile. I, I gave up the word early, to bile off that buffer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we add in ox bile there, and that does aid in emulsification of fats, gathering of the stool, but also buffering that acidity. So if you did have known gastric ulcers or esophagitis, you could still take our digestate. That's not going to cause 
further degradation or breakdown or irritation in the world of acidity, and I think that's really worth calling out. So for the digestate, you'd want to take, if you're dealing with active heartburn or reflux, I would suggest taking two with each meal Mm -hmm. and one with a snack. So somewhere between maybe four to eight a day in the beginning, and then over four weeks of use, you might notice that now you can reduce to just two to three a day, and that's more of like a maintenance use of digestate. Digestate is always taken prior to food consumption because what you're looking to do is take that capsule about 10 to 15 minutes prior to food consumption so that when that first bite of food hits the belly, it's hitting that perfect cauldron and getting broken down appropriately with all the chemical enzymes and the HCL, and then paired with that bile to deliver to the small intestines the perfect slurry so that we can absorb our nutrients, we have less inflammation from our foods, and we're regulating that stomach pH. So can't say enough about Digestaid, and not even to mention what makes our Digestaid unique is the DPP-4 in there, which you won't find in most digestive enzyme formulas. Uh, DPP-4 aids with specific peptidases to break down the inflammatory components of dairy and gluten. So if you are in the holiday time frame, I often note that like every fall it feels like with social gatherings, because I'm eating, generally speaking, keto, I like dairy goes up. It's right. like, that's the fall party thing is like charcuterie yeah. plate and brie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the summer, I don't do as much dairy, but that's kind of when I'll ramp up my digestate in the fall season for that reason. And then also anytime I'm dining out, I take digestate as an insurance policy in case I got glutened at my meal. Mm-hmm. So I always order things gluten-free, but gluten is one that I'm pretty sensitive to. So I'll take a digestate. And when dining out, as we mentioned, a driver of reflux and heartburn is larger portions. Sure. And let's be honest, I always have a larger portion when I'm dining out right. than if I'm eating a meal at home. Um, and so you might use it also as just a dining out tool as you do work with your digestive system. Right. And you might be having alcohol at that meal, plus like they're refilling your water glass. So watching those things too. Totally. Totally. Um, let's talk maybe about some of the um, carminative family of, of herbs so like ginger peppermint teas are often recommended or yeah. like the papaya enzymes for reflux what about that so stuff popular but yeah I know. so yep. so carminative herbs uh are really fantastic for stomach cramps okay mm-hmm. so there's a difference between stomach cramps and gas in the intestines okay because carminative herbs also release gas um but we can see that carminative herbs can aid in interfering with that esophageal sphincter. They can actually dilate the esophageal sphincter. So for an individual that has pretty significant heartburn or reflux, the impact of the carminative herb in reducing the cramping and maybe having some flow with bile and stomach acidity doesn't always offset that dilation of the esophageal sphincter. And so we can see actually more regurgitate heartburn with individuals that have severe symptoms. So I would suggest against like those papaya enzymes and those chewables. Um, And I would really only use like the peppermint tea if you're having a stomach 
ache, not heartburn or reflux. Yeah. So a different world. Yep. And I would in fact watch out if you're doing a sleepy tea that has ginger or peppermint, you know, because these are caffeine free and you're noticing like mm-hmm. it, your doctor told you you have silent reflux or something like that, that could be the driving factor because that sphincter isn't sealing appropriately. Yep. That's a really good point actually. Yeah. Um, and then apple cider vinegar, I think is often a popular tool. In fact, I've recently been seeing a lot of clients on coming in on like apple cider vinegar gummies which I just think anything in gummy form you know it's probably not optimal (laughs) yeah what's all in those I'll I'll look that up how about you talk about Becky doing why we would do ACV as like a shooter and what that does I'm gonna look up these gummies (laughs) similar to with the digestate speaking to kind of revving up that acid in the stomach we could use an apple cider vinegar shooter like first thing in the morning before our first meal it's often something we recommend in our 10-day detox Mm -hmm. protocol um, to do like a you know one ounce apple cider vinegar um, to a couple of ounces of water um, and trying to do that as a shooter versus like putting it in your water and sipping which actually could cause more kind of wear and tear on the esophagus enamel of the teeth etc. But doing that first thing in the morning to kind of rev up and prepare the body for food. Um, Now, depending on where you are on the scale of like medication wean, that may or may not be appropriate, but you could do that and see how you do with just the apple cider vinegar alone or layer that on top of um, the digestate. And I know in clinic, um, we used to do a lot. I don't know if you still do it. We used to have like a handout on it, on the mm-hmm. Metagest um, challenge using actual AC, HCL for PPI wean. Yeah. And that formula, I forget now, has been renamed, uh-huh. but we can link it in the show notes. So if you... You could do a hydrochloric acid challenge um, with ACV, like you're saying, Becky. So where you're revving up and doing shooters, if you will, of ACV kind of right at rise and then throughout the day Mm -hmm. to kind of like keep revving. to every meal. Mm -hmm. So you're like priming that low pH or that high acidity. And that's one way to, to... pretty directly hit um the people who wouldn't want to do that are people with the barrett's esophagitis or active gastritis because that is quite acidic and that could actually cause more damage than good and the same population consideration with the hcl rev um and so it's called something it was called metagest but it, it is just hydrochloric acid and um, betaine and so when you combine those two in a concentrated form you can actually rev those up prior to meals along with the digest aid and that's another way to kind of get your body weaned off of the medication Um, if you're interested in doing that probably the best way to do it would be to just book like a 20 minute consult with becky or i you can do that as a q a and when you book it just say that you want to book it to rev off your to wean off of your ppi and do an hcl challenge because that's something that should really be more clinically addressed right and that's something then we could give you like what to look for if you went too far or things to protect and coat most definitely we would keep you on the uh, GI lining support throughout a hydrochloric acid challenge because that's going to give us insurance policy of the L-glutamine, the deglycerized licorice root, and the aloe. Those three ingredients are going to give that oopy goopy delivery to protect the tender tissue of the intestines and the esophagus when you're revving up that stomach pouch. Okay, you found the gummies. Yeah. I see. I, found... I see folic acid and cyanocobalamin. Which... So what does that mean, <laughs> Becky? 
uh, hopefully that would be like a, an automatic for our podcast listeners to be like, nope, throwing these yes. in the trash. So those are going to be synthetic forms of B vitamins, not very bioavailable and no bueno for anybody who's got any kind of genetic mutation, be it MTHFR. Um, we don't want those crappy forms of, of B vitamins in there. Yeah, that could actually drive yep. more of concern for those that are MTHFR, which is right. about 60% of the population. So we always say avoid fortified foods for that reason of avoiding folic acid. And there's folic acid in here. Um, don't worry, JLo is an investor. It, oh this boy. is called Goli, um, G-O-L-I. And welcome to the Goli family. And um, the product has as the ingredients organic cane sugar as the first ingredient organic tapioca water pectin sodium citrate dehydrate citric acid malic acid natural apple cider flavor natural, Na- apple, natural apple flavor apple watch those natural flavors yep organic carrot for color organic apple for color organic black currant for color and organic beetroot and organic pomegranate so that's under the other ingredients and then it does state that it has apple cider vinegar and a five percent acetic acid 500 milligrams which again the the amount of that and the buffering with the sugar and the synthetic vitamins not a good choice you don't want that especially Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with like SIBO or bacterial overgrowth and then you're getting these like gummies all day long I don't think so and I just don't know how much real apple cider vinegar they could possibly fit in those little gummies yeah don't do it no don't do that (laughs) just take a shooter suck it up yep and uh if doing a pill form you might as well just do the betaine hcl right support right exactly okay so aside from revving it up so that's going to rev up your digestive Mm -hmm. juices the acv um the also consideration again of the digestive enzyme which would be the first line of defense and more of the long haul go-to uh, we also then look at for coping with the heartburner reflux, mucilaginous food. So mucilaginous is one of my favorite words to say. It basically mm-hmm. stands for oopy goopy. And so we think of like okra as a mucilaginous food that's slimy from the, the seeds, uh, really supportive for inflammatory bowel disease, but also to coat and protect the intestines and esophagus through that digestive process. In the world of mucilaginous foods, we would also look at... Um, DGL or diglycerized licorice root, which diglycerized licorice root, which is in our GI lining support, um, has been shown in clinical literature to actually repair ulcerations. Mm -hmm. So this would be like a non-negotiable if you're someone that has gastritis or esophagitis, especially Barrett's esophagitis, um, or any form of known tissue damage or duodenal ulcers, for instance, um, we most definitely would want to have the GI lining support at a minimum of two scoops a day if we have known inflammation of the tissue because that DGL in there is actually going to repair the ulceration. And then we're getting that L-glutamine, which L-glutamine is the fuel source for our enterocytes, which is our gut cells. And L-glutamine can actually feed and rebuild our enterocytes. So we can actually see leaky gut repair um, while we're repairing the ulcers with the DGL. And then the aloe in there um, supports also as a mucilage or oopy-goopy anti-inflammatory delivery to coat and protect So GI lining support would be one to definitely keep in um, at least one scoop a day and maybe rev to two to three scoops, um, taking at times of heartburn or reflux to coat and soothe. 
And then you'd mentioned aloe. Um, I did the same thing. I can't recall the brand off the top of my head, but there's... It's Lily of the Desert. Okay, good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still have it actually in my fridge. I should probably <laughs> toss it. But I used that as a shooter during that third trimester when I was experiencing pretty significant, more heartburn, I would say, than reflux. And I was doing Lily of the Desert uh, in popsicle form too, okay. where I would just do some of that with um, tart cherry juice. Okay. And that takes us to another consideration. Let's jump to there before we go into probiotic stuff. So tart cherry juice and the reasoning for that is that this can help with melatonin Mm -hmm. levels. Um, For individuals that have low melatonin, um, they often actually have an issue with that esophageal sphincter. And so we see that melatonin supplementation um, can both aid in deep quality sleep as well as provide antioxidant. You know, we've talked about how melatonin can be especially helpful in women that run estrogen dominant or men, individuals that run estrogen dominant. Melatonin can be additionally supportive and especially with history or family history of cancer because it is an antioxidant which reduces that oxidative stress and free radical damage in the body. We know high-stressed individuals tend to run low melatonin as well. Um, And there is a connection to our intestinal melatonin levels. So we know that our enteroendocrine cells in the GI tract, um, so the hormonal regulating cells in our GI lining, uh, our tract of our gastrointestinal lining, um, play a major source of production of melatonin. So if the gut itself is stressed and there's dysbiosis or there's suppressed stomach acidity, we know that the melatonin itself then may not be optimal um, in its um, release. And so then we can have issues with our gastric mucosa and we can have more irritation. So you could use our um, sleep support as a formula in the evening, which has a combination of melatonin and some nervine herbs. Um, as a fantastic way to support heartburn and reflux, especially if you're someone that's been told you have silent reflux, uh-huh. then I would be doing the GI lining support and you know one to two uh, sleep support tablets at bed, and that should really help to to resolve the driving causes there. So when I was doing the tart cherry juice, I was doing that for a melatonin boost, and then adding that aloe as a oopy goopy coder to support with the symptoms. Yeah, not to mention that melatonin we know declines with age too, so more in that elderly population with sleep disturbance and all of that world. And we know right? there was really compelling literature with um, SARS-CoV-2 yeah. uh, with melatonin levels. And again, that was one of the proposed mechanisms of why maybe children haven't been impacted because of the connection of melatonin mm-hmm. and melatonin levels being so high in the youth. Yes. All right. So let's talk about um, probiotics. We mentioned SIBO, H. pylori, kind of that whole world, uh, both being kind of a cause and effect of of heartburn and reflux. Um, So I think a probiotic challenge would be a really good place to start for anyone who's dealing with any of those symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. There's such strong clinical literature. Um, Just a couple weeks ago in the Journal of Nutrients, um, there was a study showing the effect of probiotics in mitigating the severity and frequency of symptoms of GERD. So just adding in the good players might be enough to have that competitive inhibition Uh of kind of lowering the impact of the dysbiotic or bad bacteria. And we know that probiotics can, of course, modulate and support immune health. They can accelerate gastric emptying and also aid in the digestive process. So probiotics help to eat away at the 
food particles um, that maybe are larger in light of the lack of the stomach acidity and enzymes. So probiotics play a great role specific with your stomach mucosal receptors. And um, we know that they can play a dynamic role in that upper gastrointestinal area of focus. So um, there was a study that looked at 12 different articles and found 79% reported benefits of probiotic supplementation and symptoms of GERD. Um, and majority of those impacting with reflux as well. Um, when we're looking at probiotic challenge, you would be starting with the Restore Baseline Probiotic and working your way up. But again, if you're someone that's on um, a PPI or an H2 antagonist at this time, I would go ahead and start with the targeted strength. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just bring in the targeted strength and I would uh, bring in that digestive enzyme and then see if after four weeks of use, you can wean, stay on those supplements and then wean off the medication maybe to every other day use and then see if necessary at all. Um, but then going forward on like maybe your third bottle of targeted strength, you could toggle out and test whether you need to stay with the targeted strength, which is four times the potency of the restore baseline. And so you would be able to do that maybe through a probiotic challenge. Sure. Would you agree? Just kind of like hit it to, yeah. to get off the medication and rebuild with the good stuff. Then again, if you know you have um, more broad spectrum immune issues or have been on antibiotic, that's where I'd recommend the other heavier hitter, which is the Rebuild Spectrum Probiotic. And it would be absolutely appropriate to take both. I we, take both. We sure do. <laughs> the Targeted Strength and the Rebuild Spectrum yep. and the Women's Flora. Yep. Um, and I will note that the Raminus um, bacteria has been shown, which is in the Women's Flora, to also specifically reduce heartburn and reflux. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and we covered Bronco Detox as kind of a big one in that H. pylori world of things. So definitely that as an added layer, I think as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would link that. We'll link the research studies on that, that we have on our product page. And it's that connection of the sulforaphane compounds actually reducing um, the colonization of H. pylori and attenuating gastritis. So again, if you have known gastritis, that would be kind of a non-negotiable with the Bronco Detox. Yep. Um, I wanted to hit one last question that's a common listener question um, about um, during pregnancy, other things that are safe to do because the GI lining support on our website says not to use during uh, pregnancy. So I did use it um, just as needed. And that's another note I think for anyone experiencing these symptoms is you can use the GI lining support um, you know, not just rise and, and rest, but you could use it after a meal where you're experiencing significant reflux or heartburn symptoms, yeah. like doing a little at shooter at the onset. Um, but I used it in that way during third trimester. I felt comfortable, like I wasn't getting reflux every day, um, just doing it, you know, a couple times a week for onset of symptoms. Right. So I think uh, occasional use would be appropriate, especially when comparing cost to benefit of other uh, medications or over-the-counter tools. Digest aid would absolutely be appropriate daily, and I would rev up the digestive enzymes with pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, especially as you get with, as baby gets into that yep. area of your yep. diaphragm. So you know maybe you're using digest aid in the beginning, like one to two a day, and by that third trimester, you're using more of the four to six a day. Um, there's no concern of digest aid at high doses with pregnancy the GI lining it, it, it's because of that L-glutamine um, there's just unknown impacts of high doses of glutamate um, be that it could be excitatory 
Um, but again, I, I believe that the uh, three grams that are in the scoop used occasionally a couple times a week would not be concerning in that third trimester. But that's something that you could ask specific to your healthcare practitioner. I know you did. They won't know what it is. Yeah, they they told me to take papaya enzymes. I was like, no, I'm going to stick with my, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. GI lining. Like, I, just, I just gifted a, a tub of it to a pregnant friend who was over yesterday. I was like, yes. your it's baby is helpful. fully cooked. Mm-hmm. Use it a couple times a week so that you can sleep. Yes, I think sleep good. Yep. Um, but melatonin would be one that you could also bring in as well yeah. in that pregnancy as you yep. get further along, which would be very welcomed. Yes. So just the kind of nitty gritty breakdown of things in the lifestyle world, I think we hit all of them. So your supplement trifecta would be digestate enzymes um, and then ensuring that you're using the GI lining support to protect the tissue and also used acutely as needed per symptom management. And then we're looking at getting going right away with that targeted strength and rebuild spectrum probiotics to really give the good bugs a chance to reset. And then maybe a month or two out once you've weaned medication to check in with that probiotic challenge. Eat smaller size meals and consider intermittent fasting. Separate your water from your food consumption. So water is just to sip at meal times. Otherwise, get the majority of your water separated an hour from your meal consumption. Remove non-caloric sweeteners. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we know that those artificial sweeteners can really interfere with our gut bacteria. And then watch your overall carbohydrate intake so you're not driving dysbiosis and uh, yeast overgrowth in the body avoiding fried foods and industrialized vegetable oils, which we're not big fans of anyway, and then watching out for spicy foods during the time of active flares would be a big area that maybe that would be the time that you wouldn't do the no palito bone broth Mm -hmm. actively dealing with uh, heartburn and reflux. Maybe that's the time you do the shiitake one, which has more of the mucilaginous components with the mushrooms and um, adding in kombu seaweed to be more mucilage to kind of coat and protect. So bone broth in abundance, gelatin, using jello would be a great thing also to coat and protect. And then especially if you can work in the tart cherry juice or the aloe to your jello or popsicles as something cooling to take out the burn without suppressing the very vital essential acidity that you need in your gastric pouch. So if you enjoyed today's episode, go on over to wherever you're listening, leave us a five-star review with a couple sentences of why you're loving it. In fact, please do that because I saw some trolls on Instagram with Uh-oh. my last post Uh-oh. on children, <laughs> yeah, children not being in the um, emergency authorization use uh, area and saying that, well, these children are not an emergency based on the mortality of this said infection. Um, yeah, I, I saw a couple of trolls say, don't worry, we'll just take it to her podcast in Google. So, you know, if, if that makes them feel good, I know that you listeners that uh, love truth and medical autonomy and information that actually supports you and your families to be resilient and well, if you can take a moment to offset those, I always appreciate a five-star review. Um, and over at AllieMillerRD.com is where you can get all of the fun things. Definitely take advantage of the Beat the Heat probiotic discount using the code BEATTHEHEAT21. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.